with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, using one of the hardback Bibles in the rack in front of you. I think it's page 861. Uh, marriage uh, is a beautiful and a very valuable thing. Uh, it is the fabric, it is the foundation of our civilization, of our community, and of our church. Marriage is so important. It is the critical tool that God has given to us to raise godly and successful children. And marriage is a primary source of joy. There are many ways that God desires to give to us, his children, joy. But one of the greatest ways, if God has called you to be married, one of the greatest sources of joy is your marriage. Marriage is honored in scripture from the beginning to the end. The very first institution that God created was the institution of marriage, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus did his very first miracle, did you know this, at a wedding. Uh, when Matthew, the gospel that we've turned to this morning, when, when Matthew described the ministry of Christ, he compared it to the wedding of a king. When the apostle Paul described the relationship between Christ and the church, he compared it to that relationship between a husband and a wife. And all throughout the Bible, we see this living illustration of the relationship between God and his people seen in the relationship of a loving father and a loving mother uh, to the kids that they, have, uh, that they have brought into this world. Marriage is a key part of scripture. Marriage is valuable and it is a beautiful thing. But as glorious as marriage is, you know if you're married, it is not easy. Uh, marriage, if you think about it, uh, we shouldn't be surprised at its difficulty. Uh, marriage is the union of two selfish sinners. Now don't say amen because you're your marriage might become more difficult, but that is the truth, right? Uh, God took you, a selfish sinner, and united you with someone else who is a selfish sinner, and marriage is difficult. Uh, marriage is the union of people with different backgrounds, different points of view, different body chemistries, different needs, different temperaments, different weaknesses, and then throw into that all the complications that life brings. Uh, there are the complications of health issues, the complications of money, uh, the complications of unruly children. And then there's just stress, stress that comes from the job, stress that comes from maintaining a house, raising children, dealing with extended family. Is it any wonder that many marriages are strained today? Is it any wonder that many marriages fail today? But the good news is that there is a manual for marriage. There is, a, there is an instruction book for marriage, and that is the Word of God. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to open God's Word and discover what God's Word has to say about having healthy marriages and healthy families. What God's word has to say about how to have a family where, where there is more joy than there is strife. 
Uh, Where there is more pleasure, there is more honor going to God than sin creeping into our lives. The, The book, the Bible, tells us how to have a godly marriage. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm not married. And so for the next five weeks, you're going to talk about marriage. I'm not married. Why should I be here for the next five weeks? Well, first of all, because we're just studying God's word. And anytime we have an opportunity to gather together and celebrate the truthfulness and the value of God's word, we should, we should look forward to that. But I would say to those who are not yet married, you're in the best spot, okay? Because the smartest time to learn this is before you get married. And so for college students, for young people, for teenagers, for singles, for people who aren't married but want to be married, you're you're listening to this at the right time. This is helpful for people who are married, but it's uh, hard to teach an old dog new tricks, you know, as they say. It's, uh, It's most valuable for you if you're not yet married. Now, some people are single, and you will always be single, and we can still come together and celebrate God's word, but here's my suggestion to you. As we learn these important principles about marriage, let this be a prayer list for you to pray for the people closest to you who are married. As we learn some important principles today, three or four important principles, biblical principles about marriage, with each of these, these are things you can pray for for the people who are married and are close to you. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, and I want us to read just two or three verses at the end of something called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest recorded sermon, three chapters long, covers Uh, much information about how we are to live as Christians, kingdom living. And then it wraps, Jesus wraps up this message with an illustration, and it's a powerful illustration. And so, if I can find it in my Bible, we will read this together in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. So I'd like to ask you, if you will, to stand, and let's just give special reverence to God's word as we look at these few verses. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So a wise man built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. And so the wise man builds his house on the rock and it survives the storm. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It's collapsed. It collapsed rather with a great clash. Please be seated. So we have a wise man and a foolish man. Uh, They both build a house. And Jesus said the wise man is the person who listens specifically to what Jesus had given us in this sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in a more generic sense, he's just talking about the word of God. The wise man, the man who built his house upon the rock, is the person who builds his life upon the principles of God's word. And when the storms come, uh, his... His house remains. 
But the foolish man is the man who builds his house upon the sand, does not build his life upon the things of God, and when the storms come, the house fails. Now, let's just notice, because I want us to fully understand this parable, let us notice some similarities between these two men, these two house builders, and let us notice some differences. Similarity number one, both of these men knew the same things. And so he's talking specifically about men who had heard uh, his message, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he's talking about men who heard the same things, who knew the same things. So here's the first thing we should know. Whether or not your marriage or your spiritual life is going to succeed or fail is not determined by what you hear or what you know. It's determined by what you do. So both of these men heard the same message, but they did different things about it. And so since they both knew the same things and had very different outcomes, we know it's not about what you know, it's about what you do. Now the second similarity is that both of these men built what they thought was a sturdy house. It wasn't as if the man who built the house on the rock knew his house would stand, and the man who built his house on the, stand, on the sand knew that at the sign of the first storm that his house would collapse. No, both of these men felt that their houses were stormproof. You know, everybody thinks that they have a strong marriage. I'm doing a couple of pre-marriage counseling deals right now with a couple of couples who are about to be married. And both of them, just like every other pre-marriage counseling uh, set of counseling appointments I've ever done, both of them are absolutely certain that their marriage is going to make it. And most people, they think their marriage is the exception to the problems that we see in our, in our culture. People think their marriage is strong. But these two men both thought their houses were strong. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter your opinion about the strength of your marriage. It only matters about the foundation, what your marriage is built upon. The third similarity we see here is that both of the houses looked the same. If you would have driven down the street that these houses were built upon, you would not have been able to tell from your car that one was built on a good foundation and one was built on the sand. It didn't look like one was about to fall down. Both of them looked the same. That tells me that you can't from the outside looking in tell what marriages are strong and what marriages are weak. I, I know that I have... Uh, I have seen some marriages fail and it shocked me to the core because I thought from the outside looking in that those were some of the strongest marriages, but it turned out they were built upon the sand. You can't just tell by looking at it. Everybody needs to make sure their house, their marriage is built upon the rock. The, the fourth similarity is both houses face the same storms. And so there are two houses here, but there was just one storm. Often people think when their marriage fails or if their marriage is strained, that it's because they've faced more difficult storms than somebody else. But let me tell you from the word of God and from years of doing marriage counseling, that it's not the fierceness of the storm that determines what marriages will fail. It is the foundation that they're built upon. 
If you will build your marriage upon the rock, it will survive the storms. If your house is built upon the sand, even the smallest storm eventually will destroy your house. And so though both houses here face the same storm, it wasn't that it was two different storms, the same storm, it was only the house built upon the rock that survived. So those are some similarities. Now let's talk about some differences. The difference, the one difference, is the foundation. Now what does he mean here when he talks about building your life or we're making specific application to marriage? What is he talking about when he says to build it upon sand. Well, sand means, at least in the context of marriage, refers to our feelings. And so if, you're, if your relationship with your wife or your relationship with your husband is based just on feelings, I love you, I feel attracted to you, I lust for you, I whatever, you, you fill in the, uh, the verb there. If it's based on your emotions or your feelings alone, that's sand. Because those things are going to change through the years, right? There are going to be highs and lows. Now, there should be feelings. I mean, it's good to have feelings for the person you're married to. But if that is the basis of your marriage, the foundation, then you have built your marriage upon the sand. If your marriage is built upon selfishness, it's built upon sand. Oftentimes when people get married, they simply get married for what it does for them. I want to marry because of security. I want to marry because this person makes me happy. I want to marry because whatever kind of selfish reason we can come up with, if our marriage is based on meeting some selfish need in our lives, then it's built upon the sand. There are other things, worldliness or ease or inattention. All of those things that's building upon the sand. What does it mean to be built upon the rock? Well, that means to be built upon the principles of God's word. That means to know what the principles are and to see these born out into, into our marriages to build your marriage upon the word of God. So let's take a few minutes and let's see if we can discover some of these principles and let's apply them to our marriage and see what it would look like if we strengthen the foundation of our marriage, if we build our marriage upon the solid rock, upon the principles found in God's word. So if you look back, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this is the, uh, the, the subject matter that he, he talks about most specifically. You see a number of different instructions and commands and principles. Uh, we're not going to go through all of these because there are probably 30 of them. Uh, but this would be a good thing for you and your spouse to do over the next week. Just read these three chapters. Uh, sit down with your spouse and start in chapter 5 and read the first half of that and just talk about, is that reflect our marriage? Or do we need to add some of that to our marriage? And then read the second half of chapter five the next day. And then the next day do chapter six in a couple of days and then chapter seven in a couple of days. But I wanna go through and just pick out a few of these principles. Now these principles can be applied to any part of life. These are pretty generic principles, but we're gonna apply them specifically to marriage. So the first one is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. So turn with me to that verse. Should just be back a page if that. He says, for if you forgive others of their offenses, of their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, 
your father will not forgive your offenses. So here we see the principle or the admonition, the instruction uh, that I'm going to phrase this way. You need to change the oil in your marriage. The problem with many marriages is that their oil is old. Now, let me tell you what I mean. I'm not an auto mechanic, but I know enough to know that the frequency of your oil changes goes a long ways to determining how long your car is going to last. Did you know that? And so I uh, learned this by experience as a high school student uh, when I thought that... uh, Oil just couldn't be that important. As long as there was gas in the car, it would go until the car engine seized up and uh, the mechanic said it is unfixable. See, what happens is when that oil gets old because you haven't changed it, then in that very hot, fast-moving engine, there's friction. And the friction of those moving parts will damage those parts until eventually If you don't change the oil 20, 30, 40,000 miles, I don't know, a long time, eventually it'll cause all kind of damage and it will seize up. In fact, it'll seize up. It'll cause so much damage even before it seizes up. You wait 20,000 miles to change the oil in your car, it'll cause all kind of damage that much of that damage is irreversible. You you can't go to the mechanic and he say, oh, you listen, you've really damaged your engine because you haven't changed the oil in 25,000 miles. And you say, well, that's okay. You put new oil in it. I will now change the oil every thousand miles until I catch up with the schedule. Now that won't work, right? Because the damage that's been caused to the engine is, is permanent damage. Now let's talk about marriage. Why does the Bible say it is so important that we forgive one another? That's changing the oil. Because if you don't forgive, it causes such friction in your marriage that it'll cause damage. And friction leads to more friction. And friction leads to heat. And friction leads to damage. And it will damage your relationship. And in fact, if you let it go long enough, it will cause irreversible damage. There are some people that because they have had so little forgiveness in their marriage, they're There are damages, there are wounds in their marriage that will never heal. In our marriages, we need to change the oil often. You need to be quick. Listen, men, you need to be quick to forgive your wife. Wives, you need to be fast to the trigger to forgive your husband. If you hold a grudge, if you hold a grudge even a day or two, if you hold a grudge, if you stay angry, That's not just you defending your turf. That is you bringing friction and damage to your marriage. The first principle I think we can learn from this as we're trying to build our marriages upon the rock is let's change the oil often. Let's make sure we keep a short account with our spouse. Let's forgive freely. Now, I know that's hard to do sometimes. Somebody sins against you. Somebody uh, doesn't pull their weight. Somebody says something that they shouldn't have said. And and we want to hold on to that. I think it's a form of protection. We want to protect ourselves emotionally and spiritually. and, And so we hold on to that. But as we hold on to that, we just increase the friction and we just cause greater and greater damage. And so many marriages today are suffering simply because... They, they are not, in this respect, built upon the solid foundation. They're not being quick to forgive. 
So that's just, that's one principle. And that'll show you how to, how to handle these things as you read through with your spouse, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You come to something like forgive people who sin against you. Talk about, do we do that in our, in our marriage? Do we hold on to things too long? And as you come across these principles, see if that's true in your marriage. Well, let me take you to the second principle that I want to show you. And we're going to skip around in this sermon. The second one I'm calling fight fair fight fair. Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. Matthew 5, 21 says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. However, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. And whoever says you fool will be subject to to hellfire. So if you are offering your guilt on the altar, your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. He's talking about anger. Now this is just one of those bedrock, one of those build your marriage upon the foundation principles. We must fight fair. We must let go of anger. Anytime you have anger in your marriage, you are damaging your marriage. You're damaging your marriage. A marriage built upon the rock is a marriage where anger is dealt with quickly and is dissipated and and done away with. You know, the Bible talks about the danger of anger. and, And I think the best comparison that I can think of is to compare anger with cancer. Now, cancer is a terrible thing. Some of you have cancer. You're fighting cancer. You're struggling with cancer. Many people in our church right now going through that. And so there are some things that you know that we all know about cancer. First of all, cancer can take away your strength and your resistance. Uh, there, There are people who struggle with cancer, and as a result, they're physically weak. And there are people who struggle with cancer, and they're very susceptible to catch the flu or, or, or to get pneumonia or, or, or to have some other infection that can sometimes even put their, their lives at risk. So cancer can take away strength and resistance. Anger, listen church, anger will do the same thing in your marriage. If you're angry at your wife, ladies, if you are angry at your husband, that will sap your spiritual strength and your ability to resist temptation. When we're angry, we have opened ourselves up to Satan and we can be pulled into any kind of temptation. You think about the last time you were angry, were you not tempted? Tempted to lash out, tempted to say things you shouldn't say, tempted to go spend money you shouldn't spend, tempted to eat something that you shouldn't eat, tempted, we we, we are most, we we are very tempted when we're angry. And so just like cancer will make you physically weak, Anger will make you spiritually weak. It's a dangerous thing to let anger stay in your marriage. The second way it's like cancer is that cancer can be difficult to stop once it takes hold. That's the scary thing about cancer. And cancer can be treated in many cases. And many of you are cancer survivors, and we're thankful for that. But you know, especially if you're a cancer survivor, that it's a battle. Once cancer sets in, it can be a difficult thing to overcome. The same thing is true of anger. And so if you let anger in your marriage, if you let anger hang around for a day, for a week, 
I'm telling you, that anger will set down roots in your life, and it will be very difficult to get over it. You know, the easiest time to get over your anger is at the beginning. People think sometimes that if I'll just give it some time, the anger will dissipate. Well, anger doesn't dissipate. That's like saying, well, the doctor says I have cancer, but it's just a little bit of cancer. I think I'll just give it some time. Maybe it'll just go away. Well, that's the very nature of cancer. It doesn't go away. You give it time, it gets larger. And, and anger is the same way. It doesn't dissipate. It, it, it sets down roots in our lives, and it can be very difficult. I know I've sat down and counseled with people uh, who, who had an issue in their marriage that, that three years ago would have been a simple issue to deal with, but now that they have been angry about it for three years, it has become an issue that is existential. I mean, it's an issue that could destroy their marriage and often does. Anger, like cancer, is difficult uh, to get rid of once you let it set down roots. And then finally, cancer can kill and anger can kill. Anger can destroy your relationship. So what do you do? What does the Bible say we should do if we're angry at our spouse? Well, as uh, we've already alluded to, you need to act early. Uh, serious problems turn into, uh, small problems rather, turn into serious problems. And so if, if you're angry, you need to sit down and work it out uh, soon. The longer you let anger remain, the more deadly it becomes. Secondly, Jesus tells us in his word that when you're angry, you need to watch your mouth. You need to be careful with what you say. Because the thing often that takes anger and makes it into something that's even worse are the words that we say. And so when you're angry, you need to talk less and listen more. Maybe you'd write that down. When you're angry, talk less, listen more, because our mouths can get us in trouble. And then let us see, when we're angry, we shouldn't cover it up. Peace is not just the absence of war. And too many times there's anger in a relationship and, and they just decide we'll not speak of that anymore. We'll just sort of cover that up and we'll put it to the side and we'll not deal with that anymore. But if you do that, then it just, it just grows in its, in its effect behind the scenes, but it's not gone. You don't have a peaceful marriage. You just have sort of a truce. We don't need a truce. We need to deal with things. What if uh, when you were going to take your trash out next week, uh, you decided that instead of taking it all the way out to the road so that the city could come pick it up, that you would just toss it in your attic. I mean, it would be easier. Uh, you could just toss it up there. If you've got some steps, you open it up. Maybe you've got a little ladder and, and you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? And so then the next week comes around, it's time to take out the trash. You just toss it up in your attic. And for a while, I mean, I don't speak from experience, but, but for a while, that'd probably be a pretty decent plan. I mean, you never go up in the attic anyway. Might stink a little bit, but who would know? Who cares if the attic stinks? Just toss the trash in the attic. But if you continue to toss the trash in the attic, what will happen? Long term, is that going to be a good plan? It might work for a day or two or a week or two. But what's eventually going to happen? Well, your attic is going to be filled with all kinds of uh, living things <laughs> that you didn't mean to be in your attic. 
Uh, it'll cause, it'll begin to rot. It'll begin to uh, destroy uh, your attic. It could begin to come through your ceiling. I mean, you could ruin your house by, by the simple act of just tossing all of your household garbage into your attic. Now, none of us would do that. That would be a crazy thing. But we do that in our marriages. We have all of this trash. We have these disagreements. We have this anger. But instead of dealing with it, we just sort of paint over it. We just, we just well, we're just going to pretend it's not there and we're going to move on until that rottenness destroys our marriage. I can't tell you how many couples I've sat down with and, and I'll say, well, what's the main problem? And you know, as a counselor, when you ask for what's the main problem, you, you hope to hear just one, okay? But so, sometimes I've said, well, what's the main problem? And, and then two and a half hours later, they're still listing off problems. And what has happened is they've, they've gone through 10 years of putting their trash in the attic. And now their whole marriage is rotten uh, because, because they never dealt uh, with, their, with their anger. And so number two, fight fair. Number three is buy marriage insurance. And so I'm only telling you that because some of you, if you couldn't fill in the blank, you would go nuts this week. Uh, I am going to wait and share that with you on sermon number five because I don't want to be hurried on time. Uh, but, you, but there is something called marriage insurance. Wouldn't it be nice if you could buy that? We have auto insurance. We have life insurance. We have health insurance in case there's a problem. But the truth is, more than any of those, you need marriage insurance. Uh, if, if, if I crash my car and don't have insurance, uh, well, I mean, that would be a bad thing, but I would survive uh, you know, I, eventually I could buy another car, but if your marriage crashes, now that's a lot more serious. Uh, so there's a way to buy marriage insurance, uh, but I'm going to tell you how to buy it, uh, in sermon number five. So that brings us to number four, live by the triangle. And I think you see this in those verses that we've already read right at the end of Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus says, build your life upon the rock. The key, I believe, to a godly marriage is exactly that. We must build our lives upon the rock. And so I, I want to I demonstrate that to you visually. And so I've, I've got a couple of volunteers. They actually didn't volunteer. I, I told them they had to do this, or, or I told Mark he had to do it, and I think he may have told his wife. All right, let me ask you to pull the rope out here. And uh, I want to explain something to you. Um, all right, so they're going to make a triangle. You can leave that knot. It'll actually help my illustration, perhaps. Okay, can you see this? Some of you don't know, but we've got a triangle here. Yeah, hold it up there for a minute. You don't have to hold it up long. Okay, so what I want you to see, first of all, is that there is a rope that connects Mark to Meredith. Now, we're going to let that stretch a rope right here. It's got a couple of knots in it, but uh, that stretch a rope with its knots represents the relationship, the commitment that they've made one to the other. And so I didn't tell you that this would require some participation, but let me ask you a question, Mark. <laughs> this will be easy unless you get it wrong. Do you, do you love Meredith? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Meredith, do you love Mark? All right, so they're still newlyweds, so I, I figured this was safe. But now let me tell you something about, about their love. Mark 
is a sinner, and he's not a very good promise keeper. He's not always faithful to God. He doesn't always walk the straight and narrow. He has selfish thoughts sometimes. He gets angry. He gets frustrated. Meredith, to a lesser degree, <laughs> same things are true. Meredith is a sinner. She is not a promise keeper. Meredith has emotions and, and Meredith can, I'm sure, get angry and frustrated and stressed out. And so the relationship that they have between each other, this, this knotted rope right here, this relationship, see, it's based on their best intentions, but it's based on the best intentions of two sinners. And they say that they love each other, but do you know, Mark, do you know, Meredith, that all the people whose marriages have failed in the last year, they once said the same thing. They said they loved each other. They said in a pastor's office, and when the pastor asked that question, are you sure you love this other person? They said, yes, pastor, we're different than most people. We really do love each other. But lots of things can happen to that relationship just because of its basis. It's based on two sinners making a, making a commitment that they don't have the power really to keep. There are a lot of things that can come in the way of that. Mark or Meredith could get sick and the other person might have to take care of them long term. That wasn't a part of your plan, but it, it might be. It's, it happens in some marriages. One of them, they could lose their job. I mean, it's not likely, Mark, but uh, now that we have you up here, we can. <laughs> there could be a financial crisis. Might not be able to make the mortgage. Might, might not be able to find a place to live. Might be moving in with friends or family. There are, um, there are emotional struggles and illnesses that could affect that. One of them could suffer inexplicably with, with depression or anxiety in some clinical way, and, and, uh, and, and it could put a lot of strength. Here, here's my point. There, there are a lot of reasons why that relationship is not as sure as they think it is or that you think yours is. There are a lot of things that can rip that apart. And you know that because you know people. Maybe you've experienced that ripping apart. But let me, let me ask you, Mark, about another relationship you have. We're going to let this, uh, this podium represent God. Mark, do you have a relationship with God? Yes. Meredith, do you have a relationship with God? Now, the relationship they have with each other is built upon their own ability to keep that relationship. And that ability is not certain. And neither is yours, neither is mine. But this relationship between Mark and God, who, who guarantees this relationship? God does. This relationship is built on whose promises? God's promises. This relationship that Meredith has with God is built on God's promises. And so the relationship they have with one another may not be the most certain, but this relationship is rock solid. 
That's why it's important. If you don't know Christ, the best thing you can do for, for your marriage, for your family, is to surrender to Jesus. Is, is to understand that he died for your sins, to trust him for salvation, for forgiveness, and surrender your life, repent of your sins, and surrender your life to him. The greatest gift you can give to your spouse is to be a child of God. This relationship is the key. Now, let me ask, Mark and Meredith, let me ask each of you to take a step closer to God. And let me ask you to take another step closer to God. Now, as they get closer to God, what do you see about the relationship between the two of them? Not that it's fallen into disrepair. Let's, <laughs> let's try to keep this uh, tight. There, there you go. All right. This will be much smoother in the 1115 service. <laughs> so now the relationship between the two of them, what has happened to it? It's gotten closer. Now, why don't you take about three more steps? Just get as close to God as you can get. Okay, now as they've gotten closer to God, they've gotten closer to each other. But listen, church, their closeness with each other is not based on Mark being more in love with Meredith. It's not based on Meredith being more in love with God. Uh, I've read a lot of marriage books just in preparation to preach through the years on marriage. And I've read the craziest things about how to improve your marriage. I read one that says that men ought to buy a little stuffed animal and you ought to wrap it in aluminum foil. Some of you guys won't, might want to try this. And then hide it in the back of the freezer. And then a year and a half from now when your wife is cleaning out the freezer, she will find the teddy bear and realize how much you love her. Okay, now. I can, I'm, gonna, I'm waiting, some of you are writing. Here's, here's, here's my point. You can buy a lot of flowers. Man, I'm gonna let you off the hook on something here. You can buy a lot of flowers and a lot of teddy bears. You can show you can do a lot of those things, and those are bad things to do. But all of those just focus on this relationship. The best thing you can do is, Mark, you get as close to God as you can get. Meredith, you get as close to God as you can get. And when that happens, the closeness between the two of you will increase, and it'll be guaranteed not by this, but by your relationship with God. You, you can go be seated, thank you. I, I'm going to say something that's going to sound arrogant. And maybe, maybe it is. But listen, me and my wife, we will not get a divorce. Our marriage will not fail. But here's why it's not arrogant. I don't say that because I'm a better promise keeper than the people who got a divorce. I don't say it because I'm a less of a sinner than the people who got a divorce. I don't say that because somehow my wife has some spiritual quality that, that the wives and marriages that failed didn't have. You know why I'm convinced my marriage is going to make it? Not because of my anything, but because when I get up in the morning, most mornings, I open my Bible 
and I study and I read and I pray and I strive to grow closer to the Lord. And my wife has a heart and a passion to read her Bible and to pray and grow closer to the Lord. And if I grow closer to the Lord and she grows closer to the Lord, we're going to be close. Not because we're better at anything, not because we're holier than anybody, not because we're stronger than anybody, but because we are united in the Lord. Let us build our house upon the rock of God's word and of being close to him. Now, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. In Jesus' story, there were two builders, two house builders who both had the utmost confidence in what they had built, two houses that looked good to the neighbors and two houses that faced the same storm. One survived and one failed because one was built upon the rock and the other was built upon the sand. Is your marriage built upon the rock? It's not what you know, it's what you do. It's the foundation that'll give you the strength to survive any storm. Father, help us to have marriages. Show us, even in these three chapters, the, the specifics of having a marriage that honors you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.